0: 1 Timothy 5, verse 17. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, The sins of some people are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth, and it stands fast. By your appointment, they stand this day for all things are your servants. So help us this morning to know your precepts for by them you give us life. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, we're moving from widows to elders. In 1 uh, Timothy, the focus uh, here has has shifted in chapter 5 from instructions on how the local church should care for widows to how the local church must care for their elders and uh, pastors. And I want you to know that I realize that 1 Timothy 5 may not be the most inspiring section of Scripture to spend time in as a church. Um, As one uh, other pastor put it, the instructions that the Apostle Paul is laying out here in these verses fall into three main categories. Um, And as I say these categories, you'll, you'll recognize they're not the most exciting things to think about. Uh, remuneration is the first category that is providing financially for your pastors who preach and teach that's in verses 17 and 18 then accusation or how to respond to charges of wrongdoing against pastors and elders in verses 19 through 21 and then ordination or how a church must take great caution in calling men into public ministry within the church that's verses 22 through twenty-five, So these may not seem like very exciting things to be discussing, but I want you to consider this just for a moment as we begin. What would happen to a church if these instructions were ignored? What would happen? Consider what we would do if these instructions were never provided for us by the Holy Spirit. How well would churches do then? These instructions are here because the Lord cares about his church. That's why he has not left us without his authoritative word for our protection. And so it's important for us to know these things for the good of our church and for the glory of Christ Jesus. Now, I also want to uh, make clear this morning that uh, I have no ulterior motives at all in preaching this passage. Uh, Greta and I are very grateful for how you, as a church, have provided for us and uh, how you've cared for us. Uh, That's actually been the case with each of the churches that uh, I have served. Uh, You and the other churches have been kind, gracious, and generous to us. We have lacked nothing. Uh, so we all know that I'm just preaching through First Timothy and this happens to be the next passage um, and I have no other motive than just to be faithful to the preaching of the whole counsel of God here and so we've reached the next paragraph. So here we go, the next paragraph. Uh, our main theme then from this paragraph is each household of God, each church must take special care of its pastors and elders. That's what... We are are being shown here in this paragraph. Each household of God must take special care of its pastors and elders. Again, uh, this passage comes under the category of commands or instructions for the church to follow. But let's remind ourselves quickly uh, of just what a local church is and its significance. Uh, The local church has been the focus of this letter and Paul has described the church in this letter as the household of God, the church of the living God, the pillar and buttress of the truth. That's in chapter 3 verse 15. So we are a family, a household called together by God to hold up and hold out or hold on to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, As uh, uh, Kevin Van Hooser, who teaches theology at Trinity Evangelical uh, Divinity School, that's our our free church seminary, uh, he puts it, I think, so helpfully in one of his books. He says, we are called together by God to embody God's word in worship, witness, and wisdom for the glory of God and for the sake of the world. That is a, a great definition of the church, and what we are here for, uh, what our ministry is. We are called together by God to embody God's word in worship, witness, and wisdom for the glory of God and for the sake of the world. Now, in 1 Timothy 3, we learned about the importance of elders, or also called overseers, that they are called by God to oversee or manage The household of God they also must have a godly Christian character described in those verses in order to be qualified to serve as an elder and now here in our passage in chapter 5 17 through 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 25 here we are given some specific instructions regarding elders in the local church And I divided up the, the material under four main directives that Paul is giving for the church here so first verse 17 and 18 the directive is take care of your pastor's needs Uh, Secondly, be fair and just with your pastors and elders. And this is in regard to an accusation there in verses 19 through 21. And then there is a verse that at first glance doesn't seem to fit, but I think pastors and churches can still uh, learn from it. It's obviously there on purpose uh, by by Paul, by the Holy Spirit. I'm referring to verse 23 where the directive for the church is to encourage your pastor to take care of yourself or to take care of of himself. And then finally, verses 22 and then 24 and 25, the directive is be careful when calling a pastor or electing an elder. Be careful about that. So first, take care of your pastor's needs, verses 17 through 18 here. Let's read those again. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching, for the Scripture says, "You shall not muzzle ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages." Again, the New Testament uses terms like elders uh, or overseers and even pastors or shepherds uh, interchangeably. Uh, it's all referring to the same office. Uh, the same type of person within the church. Uh, back in chapter 3, Paul used the term overseer there to describe uh, those called to lead and manage the church. And here he's describing the same office, but calling those who fill that office elders. Uh, these are not two different offices. Uh, again, we see in chapter 3, the overseers were to be able to teach and then manage the local church. And here in, in 17 and 18 here, The elders are described as those who rule well and those who labor in preaching and teaching, or more literally, in word and doctrine. But Paul is making a distinction between the elders within the church. Uh, They were all called, as we find out in chapter 3, to be able to teach. That's that's a qualification. Uh, But not all the elders will be the ones in the church who particularly focus on, on preaching and teaching or on word and doctrine. Uh, throughout the history of the church, faithful local churches have e- have had elders and they have set aside one or more of those elders to dedicate their time to focus on preaching and teaching. Most churches, of course, now call them pastors. Uh, these are the elders whom Paul is, is uh, calling the church to make sure to provide for their needs so that They would be able to focus on the vitally important ministry of the word. Local churches are to pay their elders, whom they have called to preach and teach well enough so that they can support their own households, as Paul had just made pretty clear back in verse 8 that we looked at last week, that was an essential duty for all Christian men uh, to perform, uh, to, to provide for their own households. Paul then then supports his his argument by quoting two authorities. Uh, He quotes quotes Moses and Jesus in verse 18. Moses from Deuteronomy 25, verse 4, and Jesus from Luke 10, verse 7. Now, this is, of course, interesting. We are used to Paul and and the apostles quoting from Moses and the Old Testament Scriptures quite often, but, but here we have an example of an apostle quoting from a New Testament book and calling it Scripture. Verse 18, for the Scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. So Paul was referring to a verse in the Gospel of Luke. There in uh, verse uh, 18, uh, this tells us that Luke's Gospel must have already been circulating uh, at this time that, that, that Paul wrote this. Already at this very early time in the church's history, the New Testament books were being identified as having the same authority as the Hebrew Scriptures. They were being recognized as God's Word. And what is the teaching of Moses and and, and Jesus here in this verse? Well, it's simply churches ought to make sure that they take care of those who have devoted their lives to the service of the church. Oxen... Were not to be muzzled when they were treading out the grain so that they could eat a little of it and so be both motivated and strengthened uh, to continue to work for the farmer. And as uh, Martin Luther commented on this verse many years ago, he, I'm sure he said this with a, with a sly grin. He said, is it about oxen that God are concerned? In, in other words, the commandment is not so much to make sure oxen are provided for, but, those, but that those who work to feed the church ought to be provided for by the church. And the word for labor there in verse 17 refers to strenuous work, like that of an ox treading out the grain. So if a church provides financially for their pastor, who is laboring for them and preaching and teaching, then the pastor will be both motivated and strengthened to provide rich meals of God's word for his church to feed on each week. So this will then help the church remain a pillar and buttress of the truth. Now, uh, lest pastors think too highly of themselves, uh, there is uh, a message here in this verse that's meant to humble them. Just notice again what Paul compares pastors with here. Livestock and manual laborers. So this made me think of another verse in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, Luke records Jesus as teaching in in, uh, chapter 17, verse 10. When you have done all that you are commanded, say, we are unworthy slaves. We have only done what was our duty. So it is a high privilege to serve King Jesus as a pastor. Therefore, pastors better work hard to serve him well. And it's the duty of the churches to make sure pastors can devote their lives to serving their Lord in the very thing he has called them to do, again, for the good of the church. Now secondly, uh, verses 19 through 21, be fair and just with your pastors and elders. Be fair and just with your pastors and elders. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God, and of Christ Jesus, and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules, or more literally, these things, without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. So now we already know there were some within the church, uh, teachers and possibly even elders, certain persons, Paul calls them in chapter 1, verse 3, who were teaching a different doctrine than the gospel, and who were devoting themselves to to myths, who who were wandering away from the gospel. And in other words, there were some issues in this church. And Timothy was going to have to take the lead in addressing these issues. But there is a right way to handle controversy in the church, and there is a wrong way to handle controversy. And unfortunately, because of our sin and our pride, churches can descend into the wrong way of handling things pretty quickly, just makes a mess of things. So verse 19 reveals one of the the wrong ways to handle a controversy. That is acting on the accusation of just one person who has a problem with an elder in the church. Context, again, is probably most likely talking about uh, false teaching, wrong teaching teaching that so it's leading people astray Um, oftentimes it's it's not even the person who has the problem who brings the accusation to the elders in a church it's 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 someone else someone else who heard a rumor about something a pastor or leader had said or did and eventually the church leaders are made aware of the grumbling Um, of course the person who uh, was the first to be upset you know did not follow Jesus instructions in Matthew 18 and address the problem with that pastor personally Instead, they grumble to others. They, they just talk to other people about it. Usually others whom they know will be sympathetic uh, to them. The others then talk to even more people until finally one of them brings it up with the elders and the pastor is surprised to find out that so many people are upset with him over something he may or may not have said to just one person. Unfortunately, that sort of thing happens far too often in churches. For as sinful human beings, we we have this inclination to believe the worst about others rather than to assume the best. Paul is not just coming up with his own principle here for how to respond to accusations against leaders. Once again, he's looking back to the Word of God, to to Moses and God's law for Israel in Deuteronomy 19, verse 15. So I'm just going to jump back there. Deuteronomy 19, verse 15, there it says, "...a single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime." or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed, only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. So this is not just the way things ought to be done for accusations against elders. Really, for all people within the church. It is also what our nation's justice system is based on as well. There must be more than one witness to corroborate your story. There's a simple principle in Proverbs 18, um, or a similar principle in Proverbs 18, 17, that that says, the one who states his case first seems right until another comes and examines him. So we must take care not to jump to conclusions when a spiritual leader is accused of wrongdoing or wrong speaking. Uh, We must never listen to gossip about leaders or even to a serious accusation if it is made by only one person. Accusations against leaders must not be based on unsubstantiated charges. Um, John Calvin uh, once wrote that none are more exposed to slanders and insults than godly teachers. And yet, as we see in verse 20, sometimes the accusations are well-founded. Pastors and elders are not exempt from moral failure. We are sinners too. The good thing about serving in the same church for a long while, uh, eight years and counting now for me, is that your people get to know you well enough to see your faults, to see your weaknesses and some of your sins. Pastors and elders, like everyone else in the congregation, are also sinners in need of a Savior. But when an elder or pastor has found uh, to have been in the wrong when the accusation has been proven true and the elder or pastor has been called by the other leaders to repent, if he refuses and persists in that sin, then verse 20 instructs the other elders to act justly and take a step that will show the church that you take sin seriously. Now, this should be a last resort, of course. It should only come after doing the hard work of personal confrontation and privately calling that pastor or, or leader to Repentance, but as it says, if he persists in sin, or more literally, persists in sinning without repentance, then a public rebuke is necessary, especially so if it is a public sin. This is so he will he will not lead others astray. It will show that the elders had done their due diligence to hold this other elder accountable so that the rest may stand in fear. Not in fear of the elders who are bringing uh, uh, this accountability to the church, but stand in fear of God. Declare that if you persist in this way, you're in danger of hell. That's who who we are to stand in fear of. Verse 21 here reminds us that everything we do as a church is done In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels. Therefore, take these things seriously. Work through these controversies carefully. Beware of showing partiality to elders and pastors just because you may have a good relationship with them or because you may be family with them, which is the case in many churches. We must be fair and just with pastors and elders regarding sin, and and you will do harm to them and to the church if you fail to address their sin because of your close relationships with them. Now thirdly, uh, jump into verse 23. Encourage your pastor to take care of himself. Encourage your pastor to take care of himself. It seems to me that that, that Paul makes a slight transition uh, in verse 22 to focus on ordination, which is the careful process of calling men to serve as pastors or elders. But then in the middle of that section, he addresses Timothy personally about his health. And in our day and context, well, we might consider it a little unusual, maybe even a bit strange. Again, verse 23, No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. Paul must have heard from Timothy, or maybe from some others who care about Timothy, that he was having frequent ailments. This might be a sign that the ministry had been getting pretty stressful for him. As I pointed out in chapter 1, there were some men in the church, possibly elders, who were seeking to lead the believers astray, who, who, who had been teaching a different doctrine. Timothy had probably been dealing with them, and now he's being instructed by Paul to take the next step in in confronting them and protecting the church from their influence. These are stressful times in the life of this church. Timothy had some heavy responsibilities upon his shoulders, not to mention many other issues of pastoral ministry, like you know families dealing with conflict, people's expectations being higher than a pastor is able to meet, caring for members with sickness or disability, ministering to the mourning who are walking through the valley the shadow of death, Uh, not to mention any any outside pressure from uh, the city or the culture that there is a history of of a persecution going on in Ephesus. So it it can weigh on a pastor. And when you add conflict within the church, on top of all that, it can really discourage a pastor. Unlike many other jobs and careers, a pastor can never leave his work at the office or the plant. It follows him home. It weighs on his heart. It keeps him from sleeping well at night. No matter what else might be going on during the week, Sunday is always coming. It's always just around the corner. Uh, so, so, So Paul showed his motherly side here and encouraged Timothy to not just drink water, but also, he says, to use a little wine. In their context, wine was used for Medicinal purposes, it seemed to make people feel a little better. Plus, drinking water in those days wasn't always the most sanitary thing to do. Uh, they didn't have filtered water back then. And I don't know about you, but, but I've kind of become a little bit of a water snob. Um, if it's not filtered water, I probably won't drink it. Definitely won't, won't enjoy it if I do drink it. Um, in Paul's day, it may have been safer to drink wine with your meals than water. And so it should go without saying, Paul is not encouraging Timothy to drink excessively. Um, He says only to use a little wine. The Bible is not against drinking alcohol, but it is against drunkenness. And as with with all things, you must use wisdom and pursue holiness in your use of alcohol as with with everything else. Uh, But what Paul is actually doing here is he is encouraging Pastor Timothy to take care of himself. To look after himself physically, which pastors must be sure to do. There are all kinds of books written for pastors warning us of ministry burnout. There is a real danger among pastors to get so involved in caring for the church, caring so much on your shoulders that your body just, just, just gives out or you sink into a depression. I was at our ministry, our, 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 our Midwest District uh, board meeting just uh, two weeks ago. And heard, again, from a few pastors who are still dealing with the effects of leading their churches through the craziness of, of COVID, uh, which instigated conflicts in so many churches. Guys that just are uh, just dealing with, with the, the stress, the, the, the level of, of discouragement, and, and even depression that they experienced through that time. You know, the questions you know, that, that they had to deal with and had to answer and talk with week after week after week, shall we gather or not gather? If we gather, should we require Mass or not require Mass? Should we meet outdoors or indoors? Should we have more services so we are better able to, to, to social distance? All those different things. Pastors carried the weight of all these decisions and faced more criticism than ever before in their years of ministry, not for a certain theological stance, but for decisions their leaders made about a virus that most of all the experts in the highest government in the world were very confused about. So pastors really need to take care of themselves. They need to get enough sleep. They need to eat well. They need to exercise. They need vacations, and they need days off to spend time with their families. They need to have regular time in God's Word and in prayer. They need to meet with other pastors for encouragement. And churches, it's on the church to encourage their pastors in these ways, so that their pastors will not burn out, but instead will thrive in their calling. And lastly, uh, verse twenty two and twenty-four and twenty-five, be careful when calling a pastor or electing an elder. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Then verse 24, the sins of some people are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. So back in verse 20, we, we read about the difficult and painful task of having to publicly rebuke a pastor or elder who is living in public sin. Uh, the best way for a church to avoid such a scandal is to ensure that every pastor or elder goes through a thorough screening process before they are ordained or elected to serve the church. That's what Paul is cautioning here in these verses. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands. That is, in ordaining someone into the ministry. Uh, Nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. So this implies that, that if we are too hasty, In in ordaining a pastor or electing an elder to a church office and that pastor or elder ends up leading people astray into sin or believing a false gospel, we will be implicated in their sin. We will be, in essence, taking part in their sin because we didn't do a careful enough job of testing them and considering their character prior to giving them that office. Verses 24 and 25 warn us that in in some people, it's quite easy to see whether or not they would be good or bad candidates for ministry leadership. For some people, their sins are pretty obvious. For others, their good deeds are pretty obvious. But not for everyone. Not for everyone. People are far too frequently not what they appear to be at first sight. We are pretty good at hiding who we really are. They may seem initially either either better or worse than, than they really are. It really does take time to get to know them. It is always a bad idea to rush someone into the ministry just like it is always a bad idea to rush into marriage with someone you just met or just started dating. The sins of others appear later, it says. That is after some time has passed and you've had the opportunity to see how this man really deals with anger. With stress, with disappointment, whether or not he is really genuine, how he treats other people, does he follow through with his commitments, is he trustworthy? It's the same with people who, who at first don't seem to be all that great of a, of a prospect for, for, for ministry. You know, they, they don't stand out, they, they, they don't have a flashy, magnetic personality, they, they don't seem all that gifted, but after a while, Their true character is revealed, and you realize they are gold. They are gold. That you'd be foolish not to have them serve as a spiritual leader or a pastor in your church. It just takes a while to really get to know people. But a struggling church might say, but we really need a pastor, We've been without a pastor for so long. We finally have somebody that seems interested in us. He's willing to come. We've been turned down by so many. We can't let this one get away. And my response to a church in that situation would be who are you putting your trust in? Who is your Lord? Scripture says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And here we see the Lord say, through his apostle, do not be hasty in the laying on of hands. So brothers and sisters, pastors and elders are very important for every church. As one author put it, good spiritual leaders are shepherds, not saviors, leaders, not lords, Guides, not God's. The New Testament is very concerned that churches have faithful pastors and elders because it is those men who will proclaim the saving message of the gospel and who will handle the life-giving word of God for the church. Ministry is a matter of life and death. Therefore, churches need to take who they call as their pastors and elders very seriously and then must take Uh, special care of them when they have them. Last week I quoted from uh, Pastor John MacArthur, and I'll I'll, uh, bring up another quote from him uh, here at the end of our message. He wrote, A good shepherd is not known by how gently he pets the sheep. A good shepherd is known by how well he protects and feeds them. That is the main role of a pastor. And as we see here in verses 24 and 25, Our sins, your sins, might be obvious or they will appear later. But know this, they will appear. They will be seen. They will either be known and and revealed now and dealt with now or they will be revealed at the judgment. But they will be, be there waiting us and God will condemn all of our sins either on us at the judgment casting us into hell forever to suffer eternal conscious torment for them for how we have rejected him and his rule or if we have faith in Christ Jesus if we look to Christ for our salvation then God will have already dealt with our sins once and for all on the cross so as your pastor, as your shepherd, I call each of you to repent of your sins before God today and put your trust in Christ alone for your righteousness before God. So that when Judgment Day comes, you will only be honored for the good works you did and the power of the Holy Spirit and not be condemned for the sins that you thought no one else knew about or you believe that you could get away with. Christ is your only hope. Trust in him alone for the forgiveness of your sins and for your righteousness, and you will be saved on that day. Let's pray. Father in heaven, uh, as we've spent some time here in this passage this morning, I just pray that you would uh, work your word into our hearts, that we would see the great importance of, of uh, faithful pastors and elders in the church and how the church can make sure uh, that they are caring for these pastors and elders. Uh, Lord, we look to you for, for the help that we need. And especially, Lord, I pray for each heart in this room that might be harboring sin. Lord, help them to be convicted by your Spirit to know that it will be found out. And the best thing, the wisest thing they could do today is repent confess that to you, and receive your grace and mercy through Jesus Christ, our Lord. In his name we pray, amen.